Well, we are starting a new series this weekend, and we're going to deal with the fact that our world can be kind of loud sometimes. Our world gets pretty loud sometimes, and um, we are going to talk about that. I mean, there are many uh, talking heads around us loudly proclaiming what we should do and what we should believe, and they don't always agree. Some of those voices loudly tell us that our sin, that our failures are, make us bad people, that that should cause us shame. And other voices loudly tell us that our sin and our failure really isn't a big problem and that we should embrace those things as who we are. And because those talking heads don't always agree, our loud world can be kind of confusing. It can get kind of overwhelming. And when we're overwhelmed, we wonder, where is God in all of this? What does he think? Is he speaking in the midst of all this? And I believe that God is still speaking to us today, but the noisy voices around us and in our heads drown him out and make him hard to hear. So in this series, we'll try to figure out some ways to rise above the noise, to tune into the only voice that really matters, the only voice that really can be trusted. And this message about hearing God's quiet voice in a loud world will kind of introduce the entire series. So let's jump right in. I want to share with you a few truths that come from the live, uh, life of a man in the Old Testament. His name was Elijah, and he was one of God's prophets during those times. And you can turn in your Bible or uh, on your device to 1 Kings 19, where we will be spending all of our time today. And if you want the notes for this message, you can go to the Version app, and under events you'll find Impact Moon Township, and you'll be able to find the notes there. Or you can take notes on one of the note cards that are on the, in the back of the seat in front of you. But God used Elijah in huge ways. But as we will see, Elijah's world was pretty loud also. So let's look at some truths from his life. And the first one is one that we've already been talking about. And that's this, our world is noisy. Our world is noisy. And I think sometimes we think that our busy world, our noisy world is kind of a recent thing. But the world has been noisy for centuries, even in the Old Testament, years before, long before Jesus was born, the world was full of noise. But when we talk about our noisy world, I should point out that there are at least two types of noise, at least two types of noise. The first is the noise around us, the noise around us. This is the noise from the loud and busy world that we live in. Let me give you some background on the noisy world that Elijah lived in. Ahab was king at the time, and he had married Jezebel, who was queen. And King Ahab had turned away from following the Lord, and his wife Jezebel was just plain evil. There's a reason why when people are looking for Bible names for their kids, Jezebel is not a common name that is used for little girls. You just don't meet a lot of little Jezebels running around. And Ahab and Jezebel had led God's people to start worshiping false gods and practicing all types of evil and all types of uh, ungodliness. 
And so as a result, God has asked Elijah, to, the prophet, to speak into the situation. And he has asked Elijah to announce that there would be a drought. And so Elijah has gone to King Ahab and he has said, it will not rain again except on my word. Elijah says, it's not going to rain in our land until I say so. And the drought has become a big problem in their day. And, and Ahab wasn't real happy about this. And so Elijah has been running and hiding in fear of his life because King Ahab and his even more wicked wife Jezebel have been out to kill Elijah. But then God sends Elijah directly to confront Ahab. And then there is this confrontation between Elijah and hundreds of prophets of false gods to test their power. And this happens on Mount Carmel. And if you're going with us to Israel, we'll see this site in November when we go. But the contest there results in God's power being shown in miraculous and dramatic ways and the people turning back towards God and the false prophets all being killed. And after this huge victory, Elijah goes a little further up on, the, on Mount Carmel and he prays for rain. He prays that it will rain again and God answers that prayer and it starts raining in the land for the first time in years. And then there's kind of this weird twist, you can read it if you want, but Elijah actually, under the power of God, runs faster then the king's chariot can take the king home. He runs faster than the chariot can travel. So Elijah's world is pretty noisy and pretty exciting all at the same time. I mean, good things are happening. God was doing great things in Elijah and through Elijah. And you might have expected that the people would flock to him, that the people would follow him, that they would appreciate him, that the king could thank Elijah for exposing false teaching and turning people back towards the one true God, that the king would at least thank him for ending the drought and sending the rain. But that isn't what happened. That isn't what happened. Chapter 19 begins this way. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Your, your world might get loud sometimes. Maybe your world gets loud with good things. I mean, good things and fun things and successes can be loud also. Vacations are fun, but they tend to increase the noise in our life. And uh, success at work is gratifying, but it increases the noise in our life. And sometimes the noise in our life is negative. It's financial problems that seem to scream at you every day or work problems that you just can't keep up or marriage problems that might literally cause screaming within your home, or it could be the loud silence of broken relationships with your parents or your children or with a friend. One type of noise is the noise around us, and 
it can be overwhelming. The second type of noise is the noise within us. The noise within us. This is the noise that comes from a loud and a worried mind. And Elijah is experiencing this noise from within in a deafening way. Remember, he's running for his life. Look at these next verses. Start with uh, the second part of verse 3. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Now, Remember, he has just in the last 24 or 48 hours, he has seen God miraculously use him to overcome hundreds of false prophets. He has seen God miraculously grant his prayer that the drought would end, that rain would come. But the threat of one woman, the queen, has him saying, just kill me, God. I've had enough. Just kill me. I've had enough. Well, maybe you've never prayed for God to kill you, but have you ever gotten the place in your life where the noise inside of you was so loud that you said to God, I've had enough. I've just had enough of this. I can't do this. I've had enough. I've gotten to that place. I think most of us have, and that's where Elijah is, and he's pretty discouraged but he's sleeping. And if you read the next few verses, you find that while he's sleeping, God miraculously again sends an angel to give him food and water. And then he goes back to sleep. And then a second time, God sends this angel to give him food and water. And the food gives him strength to travel even further. And he ends up at the mountain of God, Mount Horeb, also called Mount Sinai. It was a trip of over 200 miles. And when he gets there, he goes into a cave, and again, he goes to sleep. And then look at what happens next. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replies, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah's response is kind of pouty. It's kind of a self-centered response, kind of a poor me response. But based on some of what he's been through, some of the background we've talked about, it really has been really, really hard for Elijah, literally a time of uh, life and death. But he's now traveled a long way away from the danger he's eaten and he's been cared for by God and by his angels. He's had solitude and he's had lots of sleep and he's been kept kept safe. That all sounds like his world has uh, been pretty quiet during this time. But his response shows that he has been anything but quiet. I mean, he has escaped the loud world but he can't seem to escape the noise in his head. He has quieted his world, but he can't seem to quiet his mind. That's a problem for us too, isn't it? 
I mean, we might escape to a quiet place, but the anxiety in our head just keeps screaming at us, and the worry overtakes us, and the noise within us is sometimes louder than the world outside. And the truth is, the noise often gives us wrong perceptions. We just get wrong perceptions. Elijah's answer to God shows that he has believed some really harmful things, some things that are also untrue. And we do that too, don't we? I mean, we get overwhelmed with worry or sadness or depression, and we begin to believe all sorts of negative messages about the people around us or negative messages about ourselves or maybe even negative messages about God and negative messages that turn out to be completely false. So Elijah is living in a noisy world that's all around him and living in a very noisy place in his head. And he gives God this kind of pouty answer to the question, what are you doing here? But God wants to teach him something else. Here's the lesson. God's voice isn't in the noise. God's voice isn't in the noise. Start with verse 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now pause there. What are we expecting? I want you to really feel the scene. The climax of this story is coming. I mean, he's been running for his life, and there's this, these miracles that get him here, the angel giving him food and rest, and then this conversation begins, and Elijah is standing on the mountain, and God is about to show up. That's what God says. I'm about to pass by. So will he see God like Moses did, or will an angel come and wipe his brow and let him rest peacefully, or will he see a vision of heaven. What's about to happen? Let's read on. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire but the Lord was not in the fire. That's quite a scene. Does anyone really want to stand on the mountain through all of that? Especially after all of the problems Elijah had already experienced, the problems that brought him here in the first place. How long did that windstorm last? I mean, the wind begins and Elijah must have run back into the cave for shelter, hiding from these rocks that were broken loose because of the wind. But he's in the cave hiding and seeking refuge, and then the very ground under his feet begins to shake with the earthquake, and the cave roof over his head starts to rattle, and dust begins to fall, and he is sure that he's going to be crushed inside that cave. But if he runs outside, he might be bounced off the cliff by the earthquake. And then the fire starts. The smoke, the heat sealing him inside the cave, which no doubt felt like an oven. And through it all, 
Elijah had to be wondering, God, where are you? God, where are you? I'm sure he's yelling, he's crying, he's screaming out to God. God, where are you? I can't hear you. I can't see you. And God was not there. That's what the passage says. That the Lord was not in the wind. The Lord was not in the earthquake. And the Lord was not in the fire. It doesn't tell us how long Elijah suffered through. But we can imagine it was terrible. And when it was over, God was not there. He wasn't there. And that was the lesson he was supposed to learn. God's voice isn't in the noise. His voice isn't in the noise. But we look for him there, don't we? We try to hear his voice there, don't we? I mean, we want him to show up in big ways. We want God to show up in loud ways, in miraculous ways. We want to hear his voice come through loud and clear. And sometimes we even want to make our world louder and more active, hoping that God will show up. But the lesson here, and it's a lesson that we will see uh, more often during this series, God's voice isn't in the noise. It isn't in the noise. His voice isn't heard there. And sometimes we stop here. I mean, we think, I'm going through all of this pain. I'm going through all of these problems. The world is so loud and overwhelming, and I'm waiting for God to show up. And remember, God had promised Elijah that he would pass by. And God's voice isn't there in the noisy problems. So we're tempted to just give up. We're tempted to just turn our back on God. But if Elijah had done that, he would have missed hearing God's voice. So where is God in the midst of our noisy world? Can we hear him above the noise? The answer is yes, but we have to wait for the whisper. We have to wait for the whisper. So there's the wind and the earthquake, and the fire, but God isn't in any of those things. Look back at the passage, and after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave, and then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? As we will see several times in this series, God's voice is often a still, small voice. It is often quiet and gentle. He speaks and we can hear him, but his voice is quiet, not loud. We have to wait for the whisper. We need to quiet down enough to hear the whisper, even in the midst of our loud world. Have you ever been trying to have a conversation in a loud place? It takes focus in a loud restaurant to hear what the people at your table are trying to say. It takes concentration sometimes to hear someone who seems to be speaking too softly. And hearing God's voice in a loud world means concentrating and focusing and waiting for the whisper. So before we run out of time, let me suggest what you should do when you hear the whisper. Here's what you should do when you hear the whisper. First of all, answer his questions. 
Answer his questions. Think about the story again. Elijah looks for God in the wind and in the earthquake and in the fire. But God isn't there. Then he hears the gentle whisper. And he goes out to meet God. And did you catch what God whispered? It's the exact same question that he had asked him before the wind and before the fire and before the earthquake. He asks Elijah, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Now, look how Elijah answers this question the second time. Ready? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Elijah's answer is exactly the same. It's the same pouty answer. He's been practicing it for weeks. He's been rehearsing this answer during the pity party that he's been having. He likes this answer. He has even come to believe this answer. It's fascinating to me. We're right back where we started. Same question and same answer. But God asks the question twice. So in the midst of our noisy worlds, maybe we should answer the question, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? And, and the question could means several things. I mean, the question could be, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? When the emphasis is on the you, that indicates there's some personal responsibility that you should take to hear God, that there's some personal responsibility you should take to trust him more. What steps are you taking in your loud world? Or you could hear the question as, what are you doing here? What are you doing here are you doing what are you doing with your life are you doing with your life things that are leading you to a healthier relationship with Jesus are you leading your kids the way that you should are you serving as an example to them are you doing things that will help you quiet your world long enough to hear God or the question could be what are you doing here what are you doing here some think that God never intended for Elijah to run away. And so here he is literally hundreds of miles from where God really wanted him. He's hundreds of miles away. And so God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? How about you? If God is asking you this question, he may be saying to you, what are you doing here? Why are you where you're at? Are you somewhere God doesn't want you to be? Wondering how you got so far from God? Wondering how your life ended up the way that it did? What are you doing here? It's a good thing when we hear his whisper and when we don't just give him our rehearsed answers, our pouty, self-serving responses but we really consider his questions and we answer them. So after you've answered his questions, follow his instructions. Follow his instructions. It's interesting that God seems to ignore Elijah's answer, at least at first. Look at what God says to him. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came 
and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu son of Nimshi king over Israel. And anoint Elisha son of Shaphat uh, from Abel Meholah to succeed you as prophet. Now you're wondering if I said those words right. I don't know. And you don't either. But that's how I said them. But God's message to Elijah is pretty simple. Go back where you came from. Get back to work. Elijah, go do the things that prophets are supposed to do. Do what God has called you to do. And sometimes in the midst of the noise, people push away or they run away or they back away from God and what God has called them to do and where God has called them to be. And in my experience... Almost always, God will say, go back to where you were. Engage again. Do what you're supposed to do. Go back the way you came. Do the right things. Pray to me. Worship me. Obey me. Serve me. Follow me. God's advice to Elijah is good advice in our noisy world also. Lastly, accept his encouragement. Accept his encouragement. I said it seemed God ignored Elijah's pouty answer to his question, but as we'll see, God really doesn't. He says, Elijah, go back the way that you came and do the things I instructed you to do. And then God gives Elijah the why. He says this, Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. In these verses, God is saying, Elijah, those loud voices inside your head aren't telling you the truth. And God gives two messages in this. God gives him two messages. The first is this, I have everything handled and it will be okay. I have everything handled and it will be okay. Elijah basically was saying, evil is winning, God. The the wrong side is winning. Evil is winning and the good is losing. They were killing all the prophets and now they're coming for me too. And God says, Elijah, when you appoint these leaders, the tide will turn. I have everything under control. It will be okay. Do you need to hear that message today? I mean... What is it that you're worried about? What do you think is outside of your control and maybe outside of God's control also? Here's God's message and hear it clearly. He says, if you're trusting me, I have everything handled. It'll be okay. Now, I know you want him to make it okay faster than what he's making it okay, but he has everything under control. And it will be okay if you trust in him. The second message that God gives Elijah is maybe the message that Elijah needed the most. Here's the message. You are not alone and you don't have to do this alone. You're not alone and you don't have to do this alone. Elijah had told God twice, I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me too. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. There's nothing more discouraging than believing you're the only one. 
than believing you're the only one that cares, the only one trying to do the right thing, the only one willing to serve, the only one willing to sacrifice. And that's what Elijah felt. That's what the voice inside of him was screaming at him. And God shows up and says, Elijah, you aren't alone. You aren't alone. I I have 7,000 people in Israel who haven't gone over to the other side. 7,000 people who have never pledged their allegiance to the false god. Here's what I wonder. Which one of you is feeling alone today? Maybe you think you're the only one who cares about that area of compassion. Or maybe you feel like you're the only one working on your marriage or you're the only one trying to stay pure you're the only one striving to follow jesus fully you're the only one serving the only one giving where do you feel alone what area are the loud voices in your head saying you're it you're the last one you're the only one please hear the gentle whisper of god you aren't alone And you don't have to do this alone. You aren't alone and you don't have to do this alone. And this is why God's placed us in a church family. This is why being here and being in your growth group is so important. It's a place where we can share together and we can work together, where we can try to move above the noise together and listen together for the gentle, quiet whisper of God. So let's accept his encouragement today. He has everything handled if you'll trust in him and it'll be okay. And you are not alone and you don't have to do this alone. And to really experience both of those messages, it means we need to pursue God actively in our life. We need to give him access. We need to pursue him. We need to slow down, to quiet down and wait for his whisper. Corey Ten Boom, who suffered in a concentration camp during World War II for hiding Jewish people from the Nazis, said it this way, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. You'll be at rest. My sincere prayer is that this series will help us to rise above the noise, that it will help you to experience God's rest and that you will hear his whisper and that you will truly draw closer to him as he speaks into your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, even in the midst of this silence, some are just experiencing the loud turmoil inside. Voices are screaming in their head that they're not enough, that they can't do it, that you don't care, that people don't care. Father, would you just quiet their heart? Help them to hear your gentle whisper. Help them to know, Father, that they're not alone, that they don't have to do it alone, that if they trust in you, you have everything handled, that it'll be okay. And Father, we thank you so much that in our weakness, 
you are strong. We thank you so much that you have given to us Jesus to pay our price. And Father, we thank you so much that you are our Father who we can trust. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.